Chapter 11 Protecting the Victims If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the theft be certainly found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall restore double. Exodus 22, 1 and 4 We think of the criminal's victims as being people who have lost their animals or money. But there are other victims, the animals themselves. This is analogous to the crime of kidnapping. The restitution system that the Bible establishes for oxen and sheep reflects this special concern by God for helpless animals. What makes sheep and oxen special is their status in the Old Testament as symbolically helpless animals. So, biblical law protects both the animals and their owners. Let us consider each in turn. A. Symbolically helpless animals. Why the requirement of fivefold restitution for a slaughtered or sold ox? Oxen require training, meaning a capital investment by the owner, in order to make them effective servants of man in the tasks of dominion. But so do other animals, such as horses and donkeys, yet only twofold restitution is required for them. Also, a thief who is found with a living ox in his possession pays only double restitution. What makes a slaughtered or sold ox different? Answer. The ox is symbolic of the employed servant. It is my contention that this symbolism has more to do with its fivefold restitution penalty than the value of its training does. The law forbids the muzzling of oxen when they are working in the field. Deuteronomy 25.4 Paul cited this verse on two occasions. First, to make the point that God cares for his people and that our spiritual labors will not be in vain. 1 Corinthians 9.9 Second, to point out that the laborer is worthy of his reward, and that elders in the church are worthy of double honor, 1 Timothy 5:17 and 18. It pays to train an ox, just as it pays to train human workers in their jobs. Unquestionably, a trained ox is worth more to the owner than an untrained steer, just as a trained worker is worth more than an unskilled worker, and just as an elder is deserving of double honor payment. Furthermore, the ox is a dominion beast, but the steer is only a source of food and leather. The ox is productive until the day it is killed by man or beast. The steer is simply fattened for the slaughter. Sheep are undoubtedly quite different from oxen. They are stupid animals. Shepherds care for them, sheepdogs monitor their movements, but wise men do not invest a lot of time and energy in trying to train them for service. They are not active work animals like oxen, which pull plows, they are far more passive. A sheep is, in fact, the classic passive animal, an animal whose main purpose in life is to get sheared. They are helpless. For this reason, they are symbolic in the Bible of the poor. How do we make sense of the fourfold restitution payment for a stolen sheep, which is subsequently killed or sold by the thief? Why is this loss, as indicated by the size of the restitution payment, so great to the owner compared to the double restitution payment he receives if the stolen sheep is restored to him by the thief. Economic analysis of a sheep's output does not throw much light on this problem, except in a negative sense. There is no strictly economic reason. A beast of burden such as a donkey has to be trained, and was unquestionably a valuable asset in the Old Testament economy. So was a horse. Yet neither slaughtered horses nor slaughtered donkeys are singled out in the law as entitling their owners to fourfold or fivefold restitution. What is so special about a sheep? Is its wool production that much more valuable 
than the economic output of a horse or donkey? Clearly, the answer is in the negative. We are forced to conclude that the distinguishing characteristic between a slaughtered stolen donkey and a slaughtered stolen sheep has nothing to do with the comparative economic value of each beast's output. Instead, it has a great deal to do with the sheep's symbolic subordinate relationship to the owner. Of Sheep and Men In the Bible, animals image man. Sheep are specifically compared to men throughout the Bible, with God as a shepherd and men as helpless dependents. The 23rd Psalm makes use of the imagery of the shepherd and sheep. David, a shepherd, compares himself to a sheep, for God is described as his shepherd, Psalm 23.1. Christ called himself the good shepherd, who gives his life for his sheep, John 10.11. He said to his disciples on the night of his capture by the authorities, citing Zechariah 13.7, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Matthew 26.31. He referred to the Jews as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew 10.6. Echoing Jeremiah, Israel is a scattered sheep. Jeremiah 50.17a. And Ezekiel, And they were scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Ezekiel 34.5. Christ spoke of children as sheep and offered the analogy of the man who loses one sheep out of a hundred. The man searches diligently to locate that one lost sheep and rejoices if he finds it. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Matthew 18.14 It is thus the helplessness of sheep rather than their value as beasts of burden or dominion that makes fourfold restitution mandatory. Shepherds regard sheep as their special responsibility. The position of sheep is therefore unique. Sheep are representative of the utter helplessness of men. An attack on the sheep under a man's control strikes at his position as a covenantally responsible steward. David risked his life to save a lamb, or perhaps lambs, captured by a bear and a lion, and he slew them both. 1 Samuel 17, 34-36 Taking the lamb, apparently unharmed, out of the mouth of the lion, I caught him by his beard. Verse 35 As God had delivered him out of the paw of both lion and bear, David told Saul, so would he deliver him out of the land of Goliath. Verse 37. Again, David was comparing himself and Israel with the lamb and comparing God with the shepherd. Thus, the recovery of a specific lost or stolen sheep is important to a faithful shepherd or owner, not just a replacement animal. David and Bathsheba. Perhaps the best example of sheep as a symbol for defenseless humans is found in Nathan's confrontation with King David concerning his adultery with Bathsheba, wife of Uriah the Hittite. Nathan proposed a legal case for David to judge. A rich man steals a female lamb from a poor neighbor and then kills it. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. 2 Samuel 12, 5 and 6. Then Nathan replied to him, Thou art the man. Uriah had been the neighbor. Bathsheba is the ewe lamb who, biblically speaking, had been killed. The death penalty being applicable in cases of adultery. Leviticus 20.10 David recognized that the fourfold restitution was applicable in the case of stolen and slaughtered sheep. But in fact, Nathan was not talking about a lamb. He was talking about a human being. He used the symbol of the slaughtered sheep for the foolish woman who consented to the capital crime of adultery. The woman had been entitled to protection. 
especially by the king. Instead, she had been placed in jeopardy of her life by the king. The king had proven himself to be an evil shepherd. What was the penalty extracted by God? First, the infant born of the illicit union would die. Nathan promised, 2 Samuel 12:14. On the seventh day, the day before its circumcision, the child died. Verse 18. The next section of 2 Samuel records the rape of Tamar by David's son, Ammon. Absalom, her brother, commanded his servants to kill Ammon, which they did. 2 Samuel 13.29 Absalom revolted against David and was later slain by Joab. 2 Samuel 18.14 Finally, Adonijah attempted to steal the throne, but Solomon was anointed. 1 King 1 and Adonijah tried again to secure the throne by asking Solomon to allow him to marry David's bedwarmer. Solomon recognized this attempt to gain the throne through marriage and had him executed. 1 Kings 2, 24 and 25. Thus, four of David's sons died, fulfilling the required four-for-one punishment of his adultery and his murder of Uriah. Shepherds and Sheep By striking at a man's lawful position of personal stewardship, the sheep-stealer takes an extra risk. It is far less risky to steal gold or silver and then sell it than to steal and sell a sheep. He will pay only twofold restitution if he is captured for stealing and then selling gold. The sheep-stealer strikes at the very heart of a man's dominion assignment, in which a man has invested love and care on helpless, dependent beasts. The shepherd's calling, vocation, is the archetypal calling. It points analogically to the cosmic personalism and providential goodness of God. It is therefore specially defended by biblical law. We see the archetypal nature of the shepherd's calling in the office of church elder. We call ministers of the gospel pastors, a word derived from the same root as pastoral. They are shepherds. Christ three times told Peter that his task would be to feed Christ's sheep. John 21, 15-17 Peter later instructed elders of the church to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. 1 Peter 5.2a The shepherd's role as caretaker and protector is analogous to God's care and protection of the world and Christ's care and protection of His church, John 10. It is significant that the Israelites had been shepherds of cattle and sheep when they came into Egypt. The Egyptians despised shepherds. Because of this, Joseph instructed his brothers to ask Pharaoh for a separate land, Goshen, where the Israelites would not come into contact with the Egyptians. Genesis 46, 33, and 34. God's law delivered so soon after their escape from a land in which their calling was despised dealt with that calling and its risks and responsibilities. The Egyptians had despised shepherds, whose task is to care for flocks. These same Egyptians had placed the Israelites in bondage. The Egyptians were repulsed by an occupation that is based on a covenantal model of God's responsibility for the care and protection of His people. They were also repulsed by the concept of a society based on the idea of a ruler's covenantal responsibility for the care and protection of men. This hostility is understandable. Egypt was a bureaucratic, tyrannical state. The Israelites' experience in Egypt was designed by God to teach them that men are not allowed to do to cattle and sheep something that they are unquestionably not to do to other men. Treat them unmercifully and carelessly or steal them and illegally slaughter them. Thus, God imposed his fourfold restitution to the Egyptians. He destroyed them. Sheep, being stupid, are inescapably dependent. They have to trust their master if they are to survive. The shepherd is not to betray, 
this personal trust until it is time to kill the sheep for food or, in Old Testament times, for sacrifice. Christ pointed to the intimate relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. John 10, 4 and 5. When removed from the care of their shepherd, forcibly or otherwise, the sheep become lost. Symbolism or training? At this point, I must resort to a somewhat speculative hypothesis in order to make sense out of the fourfold restitution payment for a missing or dead sheep and the fivefold restitution payment for a missing or dead ox. I am arguing that the high penalties are imposed because of the symbolic nature of sheep and oxen, although I cannot absolutely prove it. But to make sense of Exodus 22.1, we have to go beyond considerations of strictly financial profit and loss. Economics, as such, does not provide a clear-cut answer to a fundamental question. Why doesn't God's law impose fivefold or fullfold restitution payments for the slaughter or sale of stolen horses or donkeys or other beasts of burden? Dominion? They require the capital punishment of training, just as an ox does. The value of this training is forfeited when the thief cannot return the actual stolen beast to the owner. We might presume that the principle of the fourfold and fivefold restitution payment does, by implication, apply to these other beasts if they have received training or other capital investments that set them apart from untrained beasts of the same species. Nevertheless, the Bible never says this explicitly. It specifically singles out sheep and oxen. Why? I see two possible reasons. First, unlike horses, donkeys, and other domesticated animals that might be trainable, Sheep and oxen were commonly slaughtered and eaten as they are today. Thus, they need special protection from thieves. A thief who slaughters an ox or sheep is subject to more stringent penalties. The higher penalty tends to restrain him in his bloodletting. This is a more strictly economic argument, one based on the economic effects of the law. Second, both sheep and oxen are symbolic in the Bible of mankind, oxen for men of power or office and sheep for dependent, spiritually helpless people. Oxen are normally peaceful, dominion beasts that are used for plowing the fields, never for war. Sheep are passive creatures that require special care on the part of shepherds. Thus, as archetypes of man in his relationship to God, creatures in need of care, oxen and sheep, receive special consideration by the law. Why a fivefold restitution payment for oxen? Why not fourfold? Probably because oxen are beasts of burden and therefore living tools of dominion. They are dependent. Though not so dependent as sheep, but they are also symbolic of God's dominion covenant. The number five is associated with dominion. By killing a stolen ox, the thief is symbolically sacrificing another person's economic future for the sake of his own present enjoyment. This is what Satan attempted to do to Adam, and only the grace of God in Christ prevented Satan's successful slaughtering of humanity. This law of restitution singles out oxen and sheep as being special creatures. Other passages in the Bible do the same. What the stringent restitution penalties of Exodus 22.1 point to is a general principle. How you treat oxen and sheep is indicative of how you treat other men. The ox is worthy of his hire. How much more a man? The sheep is helpless and is deserving of protection. How much more a man? A society whose legal order protects oxen and sheep from thieves who would slaughter them is a society whose legal order is likely also to protect men from oppression, kidnapping, and murder. A biblical social order offers special protection to oxen, sheep, and men. B. Owners 
The penalty paid to the victim by the criminal compensates him for his trouble, while it simultaneously serves as a deterrent to future criminal behavior. Biblical restitution achieves both goals, compensation of the victim and deterrence of criminal behavior, by means of a single judicial penalty, restitution. In contrast, modern humanistic jurisprudence has until quite recently ignored the needs of the victim by ignoring restitution. This twofold purpose of criminal law was ignored by modern American jurisprudence until the 1960s, when the subject of restitution to victims at last became a topic of discussion among legislators and law enforcement authorities. The Department of Corrections of Minneapolis, Minnesota, began a restitution and release experimental program in 1974. The Minnesota Restitution Center, in which criminals involved in crimes against other people's property compensate the victims. Only 28 men were admitted to the experiment during its first year. Violent criminals were not accepted. By 1978, 24 of the 50 states in the United States had adopted some form of compensation to victims of violent crimes. This policy had begun in the mid-1960s in Great Britain. In the United States, the first state to introduce such a program was California in 1965. Such costs as legal fees, money lost as a result of the injured person's absence from work, and medical expenses are covered in some states. In cases of death or permanent disability, maximum payments were anywhere from $10,000 to $50,000. Average payments in 1978 were $3,000 to $4,000, with the price of gold in the $175 to $240 per ounce range. Non-violent crimes were not covered, nor were property losses in violent crimes. Only a small percentage of citizens are aware of these laws. Only a small percentage, 1% to 3% of victims, received such payments. Also, the states compensated victims from state treasuries. The criminals did not make the payments. Edward Levi, who served as President Gerald Ford's Attorney General, 1974-76, pinpointed the origin of the penitentiary, the ideal of the Savior State. Quote, while the existence of jails dates back to medieval times, the idea of penitentiaries is modern, indeed. It is American. Largely, it is the product of the Quaker notion that if a wrongdoer were separated from his companions, given a great length of time to think about his misdeeds, and with the help of prayer, he would mend his ways. This late 18th century concept was the beginning of what has come to be known as the rehabilitative ideal. End quote. Here is the great irony. It was Quaker theology that led both to the freeing of the slaves and the imprisoning of criminals whose productivity should be put in the service of their victims. Prior to the rise of Quaker jurisprudence, Roger Campbell reports, quote, Massachusetts law in 1736 provided that a thief should be whipped or fined for his first offense. The second time he was apprehended and proven guilty of that crime, he would be required to pay three times the value of the property stolen to the victim and was forced to sit on the gallows for one hour with a rope around his neck. On the third offense, the trip to the gallows was for real. End quote. Conclusion The case laws governing restitution indicate a specially protected position for sheep and oxen. This special treatment is unrelated to the costs of producing or replacing them because trained horses and donkeys are not listed as being equally protected. What the traditional commentators have failed to notice is that the Old Testament identifies sheep and oxen as uniquely representative of man, symbolically speaking. The ox represents man in his productive capacity, and the sheep represents man in his state of helplessness. Thus, the covenantally faithful society that specially protects the lives of stolen sheep and oxen will also protect the lives of human beings. 
Modern society ignores these laws. The case laws of Exodus are ignored. The Ten Commandments are ignored. And the rights of victims are ignored. Modern man believes that he can impose justice without any reference to the seemingly subtle distinctions of the Bible's case laws. But the result has been tyranny. There was a time when cattle rustling in the United States was a capital crime. This went too far in the direction of anti-biblical severity. Today, there is nothing special about stealing cattle or sheep. It is just another criminal profession. This goes too far away from anti-biblical leniency. Modern law codes should retain the significant distinctions in penalties for stealing and selling sheep and trained oxen, even if there are few sheep or trained oxen in our society. In order to keep before us the judicial meaning of these biblical symbols, that victims are entitled to protection, especially human victims.